Chase fans, I'm Jeff Gilder. This is the Wally Bell Show. From gassers to pro mods, after 38 years of drag racing, a member of the York US 30 Legion of Honor, a member of the East Coast Drag Times Hall of Fame, and recently honored at the 25th Superstock AFX Reunion, ladies and gentlemen, Wally Bell. Hey, good, e- good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Wally Bell Show. We are produced and broadcast by Racers Reunion Radio, and we have the distinct pleasure this evening of having Bill Coleman on our show. And, and uh, Bill, welcome to our show. And I'm sorry we we uh, we got everything all ready to go here at the last minute, but uh, I think we're rocking and rolling. How you doing? Doing great. How are you doing? Well, I'm great. I wanted to tell you that Gordy Faust and George Nye and Jeff Gilder are, are with us, so uh, you guys feel free to pop in and ask Bill any any uh, pertinent or or even not pertinent questions. He can handle them, <laughs> you know. Uh, Bill, you know, I wanted to start out with something that I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks, and, and that is... Um, uh, we we had Charles Carpenter on the show a few weeks ago, and and God, you uh, you know we all go back a long ways with Charles, and 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 really, he's been a very very big part of of the whole pro mod scene, if not one of the inspirations with the old body style car and everything. Um, and you know, Charles was talking about our our class pro mod, uh, maybe not. Really having an identity, and I've I've struggled with that and thought about it, and I thought, you know, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, Bill, because we haven't discussed this lately. But I think Pro Mod always had an identity, and that is just like the world of outlaw sprint cars. Uh, we're outlaws. Is that how you still see it? Yeah, I always looked at it rather than than under the headline of Pro Mod. I always looked at it like when I first started going to the drag races, uh, whenever something really fast went to that starting line, and back in those days, most of them had doors. You know, most of your local guys had doors, but every once in a while, a fast guy would go up there. He'd have a, a an extremely more powerful car, and everybody went up there to see that. I mean, the whole show stopped. And Pro Mod, which it eventually became, was that. It was... It didn't matter what the body style was. There was a door car, and it was going to go fast, and it was going to make some noise, and it brought everybody to the fences. So I've never been brand-oriented or, uh, you know, negative against the other classes in racing, but that's just something that was nationally uh, a mutual agreement that people loved fast door slammers. Well, and you know, I'm glad that you uh, you you stated that well. I'm glad that you that uh, you've you're the same Bill Coleman that uh, you've always been, and you've never been afraid or reluctant to state things the way they are. And you know, you're right. When when this all started, we all kind of uh, evolved. Uh, the good thing about it was we evolved geographically. Uh, you from Missouri, and I was in North Carolina. Gordy Faust was 
from Georgia, and God, we had people from California, Arizona, God, I mean, Illinois, uh, all over the place, but we would all converge at English Town or at, uh, uh, you know, in Florida or wherever we all were, and we, you and I used to have some great fireside chats, and, you know, it's funny, I thought about it, we, we never, you and I never really thought that NHRA ought to get their hands on this thing. I know Gordy never thought that they ought to get their hands on it anyway. And, uh, and hell, they don't care much about it anyway, do they? Well, it, it didn't seem that way. You know, I was, even though I agree with you, I did not care whether NHRA had it or not. I was instrumental in, in getting it in there when it finally got there, but, Hindsight now, looking back at it, uh, they've got their their three classes, and then then they added the motorcycles, and that's that's the whole NHRA show. Um, I frankly don't watch that many of them because it's it's once you see one, you've seen them all. Uh, it's it's just one of those deals where the the pro mod type car and the outlaw car it broke away from the standard package it and everybody likes to see the different stuff you know as you're aware my son sends out a a group of pictures every day drag racing photos via email and a lot of people he sends them to me i send them on to a select group of people and then i've asked a few of those people how many of them send them on just to try to get an estimate of how many people look at these pictures. And it's quite a number, but the point I'm getting at is I still, even though the, the pictures are uh, uh, hodgepods of everything there is in drag racing, from dragsters to funny cars to new stuff to old stuff, I still find myself slowing down and looking more at some of the outlandish, what I would call outlaw door slammers. They they just they seem to grab my attention more than anything. I I think it's almost the uh the American thing and George Nye is here with us and George Nye is a cool guy because he uh, George what about a year ago you became enamored with Promod. Yes, I did. And uh and George always Bill George always says that he thinks it's it's like the days of the old, uh, you know, Willie Borsch and you know the uh, the the Nitro Roadster crazy wild guys, you know. And I I think it's a good uh, analogy. I really do. I think, uh, like you said, when it was especially cool in the beginning because the whole book wasn't written on it yet, and we were trying to. You know, trying to kind of figure some things out, how to get them from A to B, and man, we traveled a half mile sometimes to run those early runs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. But the the thing about it is, though, I don't know if you watched NHRA a, a week or two ago. I don't know where they are. I don't know what the scenario was, but they they evidently had a bad lane that everybody was complaining about, and these pro stock people over there were going crazy about how dangerous it was. And uh, that one female driver that's so hot right now, that Erica Enders, I think her name is, yep. she had a run 
for a pro mod that would have been almost picture perfect, and yet she was talking about how crazy her car got, and I had to back that the, the TiVo up a couple times to look at it to find out well, where did this car go crazy? Because if I'd have had runs like that, well, uh, I'd have fell asleep in the car. It would have been so boring. Well, uh, yeah, and uh, you know, Gordy, do you do you remember when Bill Bill was uh, often quoted? And and Bill, you you had fun with it, but uh, somebody was interviewing you once, and uh, and you were very polite and nice, and they were acting like it would be ultimate for you to be in an NHRA Pro Stock car, and what and they ask you about driving an NHRA Pro Stock car without any hint. Uh, what did you tell that guy? Well, they asked me what I thought the hardest thing would be about driving one, and I said probably staying awake. That was my answer. <laughs> and I, I know, I know it was uh, it was unbelievable. I remember Donnie Little came up to me and he goes, "Oh my God, you know what Coleman just told that guy?" You know, but <laughs> but it was uh, it was it was really a in the early years, now, I really want to kind of, we've talked before, and your Nitro Coupe exploits, uh, we'll get into that, uh, at, at, you know, on our next segment uh, in a few minutes. But let's go back to the beginning. Many of our listeners haven't had the opportunity to hear about the early days of the UDRA, Bill Coleman, and Animal Jim. And I've heard these stories around the campfire. And, uh, Gordy, I don't even know if you've always even heard all of them, but Bill, if you would tell, tell the story of that race in the fog. Oh, the fog race. So what's funny about that story is I've heard Animal Jim's version of it, and it's not the same as mine, and he and I were the only two people there. <laughs> we, we were in Clay City, Kentucky. That's up in the mountains somewhere in Kentucky. And it was a, a three-run match race, and we went in, and the first thing that happened, it was really a backwoods country track, like so many of them still are, and, and a lot of them always were. But uh, we're up in the mountains up there, and the first thing that happens is the, the track owner was bragging about how that track had never, ever had an ounce of VHT of any kind on it. And we had some pretty powerful cars in those days, and it was like, holy cow, this is going to be fun. We're going to be running just down an asphalt road up here. Well, we get up there, and uh, I had beat Jim in round one. I had beat him in round two. And all of a sudden, I, it, something caught my eyes as, as the fill-in bracket cars were going up to make their runs in between our featured rounds, I noticed they all had these little lights on. And I looked and I said, those are fog lights. And they all had fog lights on these cars. And that was just uniquely different, but it didn't hit me until the actual fog set in. Well, this fog came in this track so thick that, that you really couldn't see anything. And I was kind of put out because I'd driven so far, only made two runs out of three, Put myself in, now I gotta negotiate the price when we had agreed on a price. And Jim and I started loading our stuff up because this fog was undrivable for our type of car. 
And that guy came over and said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You guys are going to run this. This fog up in these mountains goes up and down. And I said, what do you mean up and down? He says, it raises and lowers. I've got a guy at the end of the track right now with a walkie-talkie and a flashlight. I want you two guys to go behind the burnout box and suit up and just sit there. And I have a guy standing between you with a communication walkie-talkie. And when this fog goes up, we're going to run you right under it. So Jim and I were strapped in. I was in the right lane. He was in the left. So he had his passenger door open. I had my driver's door open. And we're both just sitting there talking to each other. And ever the radio would crack on this little walkie-talkie. And the guy at the other end would say, the fog's one foot high. And I remember looking at Jim, and I gave him that one finger. He gave me back a different <laughs> finger. And at any rate, the fog's two foot high. Finally... The fog's three foot high, fire them up. And I looked down, and I could see a flashlight at the end of the track. It wasn't high enough to see the scoreboard lights, but I could see the damn flashlight. And I thought, they're really going to run us under this. Okay. So we fired them up. I'd, back then, it was the Beretta, which was the first Summit car. And it was a pretty heavy hitter, nitrous car. And uh, long story short, match race i did a big long burnout as i'm backing up i hear this tremendous engine noise roaring and roaring i said what the hell's that i wasn't even back to the tree yet and it was animal jim was on the starting line with both bulbs lit trying to intimidate the starter and the starter started rushing me and i said to myself wait a minute i'm paid to be here they want to see a show. I don't care. Jim can sit there and melt the clutch out of that thing, melt the throw out oil out of the throw out bearing, whatever. Now I'm really going to take my time. So as Jim's sitting on the starting line racing his engine, I'm sitting there hoping he's going to run out of gas. And the starter's motioning for me to come on. So I purge nitrous and purge nitrous and purge more than I ever did. Then I pulled up and I turned on one bulb and I purged a little more. And then I said, okay, and I reached up and I pulled down my harness real tight and purged again, and I looked up to check the tree, and all of a sudden the fog just visibly dropped to the ground. There was nothing in front of me but soup, and I jumped in real quick thinking, maybe that's just fog here on the starting line, maybe, maybe 10 foot out it'll be clear again. I jumped in, the lights flashed and took off, and I was in this just this cloud couldn't see anything i remember it was a four speeds back then just shift 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 i saw some lights go by on the side of me and i thought that had to be the quarter mile i hit the chutes and um i'm going to stop and all of a sudden i hear on my left side this roar go by me it was animal jim and i mean it was a roar because i had already killed the motor you know yep and uh I stopped, got stopped, and I got out of the car, and, and people aren't going to believe this, but it, it, it really, I'll never forget this part of it, because it was serious. I had to physically feel my way to the back of the car to get the parachutes, and then I thought, oh my God, Barry's going to be coming down here on a four-wheeler, and he's going to crash into me, because he can't see anything. And then the next thing, my race, mine raced to Animal Jim. So I hollered off into the distance, 
Jim, are you all right? And this voice comes back and says, I'm talking to you, ain't I? And I said, how the hell did you know where the edge of the track was? And he said, oh, that was easy. I ran off of it. Oh, my God. But what had happened was I clicked it at the eighth mile. (laughs) Oh, God. It was, uh, in, in retrospect, the best thing you could have done. Oh, man. Man, I, I don't know. Like I say, I, I don't know what would have happened if I'd have kept going, but in, in a, when you're driving, you know, the old, uh, ZZ Top song, Driving While Blind, when you're driving blind in a car at the eighth mile that was running a, at that time, maybe 150, the world is going by real fast. Oh, <laughs> and I decided, this has got to be the end of the quarter mile. I'm out of here. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Did Barry uh, uh, find you okay? I mean... Uh... Yeah, he he came down there putting real slow. He had the headlights on, and he found me. And uh, But it was just amazing. Animal, I couldn't see him, but I could sure hear him. <laughs> I love it, Bill. I love it. And, you know, that is a... Uh, uh, I've heard Animal's version, you know, and... Uh, it isn't quite the same, but but uh, you know, you and he had so many great uh, races, and this is before we all kind of fell in love with each other at, at various places, you know. And and uh, uh, it was it's it was always great. It's always awful to get rain down, but we'd either gather in your trailer or Jim's or mine or Gordy's or somebody's and. And tell stories, and boy, you and Animal had quite a history. Uh, you, you know, it's it's funny. Uh, Jim Jim remembers every incident that ever happened to him. I think now he's he's not always correct on his dates, and then not because I know, because my son Barry knows. Barry's Barry's got a steel trap mind when it comes to who did what on what date. I just. People have to jog my memory, and then I, I finally wake up and say, yeah, I remember that. But uh, uh, Jim sent me an email the other day talking about, it was a certain date. This is the anniversary of this and that and on and on, and he was jotting down on the email a few things he remembered, and I forwarded it to Barry. And Barry said, yeah, all those things happen, but Jim's got it over a span of three years. <laughs> <laughs> he was on it, but, oh, man. Well, listen, let's take a quick break and come back, Bill, with some uh, uh, talk about some nitromethane. And, uh, okay. We'll be right back, everybody.
The power of South Carolina's number one Chevrolet dealer, Love Chevrolet, isn't just the people that work there, but also the people who buy there. Uh, I would say that uh, my relationship with the Love family goes back probably 35, 36 years. Maxton King of Columbia knows the Love family very well. He's worked with them and bought from them. I've worked with them through the years, done business with them through the years, bought cars from them over the years, and I've just found them to be just absolutely wonderful people. And for the Kings, buying cars from Love Chevrolet is a family affair. I have twin daughters that graduated from college a couple years ago, and I helped both of them buy Malibus from Love, so they're in a great location off of Harbison Boulevard. Their service department is great. They get you in and out. I just don't know what else I could say about those people. I just like them a lot. And this is Maxton King, and I approve this message. That's the power of love. Love On the web at loveauto.com. If you wear the wrong boxer shorts, you will experience fallout. If you experience fallout in front of your wife and her friends, you'll become an embarrassment to your wife. If you're an embarrassment to your wife, she may have an affair. If your wife has an affair, you may cause bodily harm to her boyfriend. If you cause bodily harm to your wife's boyfriend, you may end up in prison. And if you end up in prison, you'll be taking showers with prisoners. And if you're taking showers with prisoners, well, let's just leave it at that. Don't shower with prisoners and save your marriage. Buy Ubatuba boxer shorts with his patented off-centered fly at www.ubatubaboxershorts.com. That's U-B-A. T-U-B-A, Ubatuba. So go to UbatubaBoxerShorts.com or click the banner on this website. Get yours today. You'll be glad you did. Ocean Drive Beach and Golf Resort is the perfect host for your next beach getaway. Located directly on the oceanfront in the heart of North Myrtle Beach, our oceanfront rooms and suites come fully equipped and feature private balconies with breathtaking ocean views. Ocean Drive Beach and Golf Resort features unparalleled on-site amenities, including the OD Beach Club and world-famous Spanish Galleon Nightclub. Call Ocean Drive Beach and Golf Resort now at 1-800-438-9590. We'll see you in North Myrtle Beach. back everybody and, and and again very fortunate to have bill coleman on our show and bill we, we uh, thank you so much for sharing uh one of the great racing stories uh about you and animal jim um jump you know jumping fast forward i i i'll start out with the you, you alluded to the summit deal and i want to tell you that when you get when you got summit racing as a sponsor I personally think that elevated our class and that type of car, like you described it, no matter what they called us, wherever we raced, they were door cars, and you getting Paul Sergi's great company as a sponsor and doing the great job you did. Christ, you did TV ads, you did all that SEMA work and PRI work. Um, that did a whole, that did a whole lot for validating 
our class. And, and uh, even uh, every time I talk to you on the air, I always say, Bill, thank you for that because it helped. I know in my case, it helped me go to a sponsor and say, look, you know, look what's happening and look at uh, Bill Coleman's deal with with Sergi and and I even had a sponsor that wanted to do some of the same things that you were doing. It was really, uh, I want to thank you for it. It was big well, time. I, pre- man. I appreciate that. They, I couldn't, I can't thank them enough because, you know, when it's all said and done, it's you stop, you're, you're you look back and you go, holy cow! I I made a living doing what I like to do. I, I never set out to be a professional racer, but certainly Summit and the whole Summit sponsorship turned it into that. I mean, I was racing for a living prior to that, but not on that grand of a stage. I just I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford but to travel so far, and Summit made it all possible, and I got to race in... In places that I've always just heard about or saw in the magazines, you know, because we were before the internet even got rolling, and uh, in other countries over it. It, it, it I was going to say internationally, and that was built with the Nitro Coops. Man, you started really, really hauling the mail, and and uh, had not uh, you know a little mishap happened along the way. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, you were knocking on the door of the fives a long uh, uh, hell. Stop and think about it, Bill. It's almost a decade ago. Yeah. Um, it, uh, I mean, that nitro deal. You really took to that. You you really enjoyed it. And you figured it out. Um, tell the listeners about the nitro coops. Well, when. When I made my grand departure with IHRA and called Paul Sergi wondering if my career was over, first thing he said was, well, where are we going to go now? Where we, where we gonna, it wasn't where we're going to go in a negative way. It's where we're going to race now. And I said, I'll get back to you. And it just so happened at the exact same time that Ted Jones and, and I think Butch McCall was still with him. If he's not with him still now, I don't know. They... We had a good TV package hooked up with the Super Chevy show and the Nitro Coops, and it was like, holy cow, we're not going to miss a beat. All we got to do is figure out how to run these things. And I had remembered match racing years ago. In fact, there was a race that you were at in Kansas City with Walter, myself, uh, I think Mendez, Yep. And a few others, and it was a, I don't know if it was a super, it was a super Chevy Sunday or whatever they call that event. But we had a match race in Kansas City, as you recall, that was televised. And, uh, also there was Tom McEwen, uh, exhibition running that 57 Nitro Funny Car. And I got to know McEwen pretty well, and McEwen, said one thing to me that just just opened my eyes when it came to the nitro i said what percentage are you running that car on because i noticed they weren't doing any maintenance between rounds and that's not to say that i didn't in nitro coupe and nitro coupe we had to every round the bearings had to come out of it because we were pushing it as hard it, it would go on the limit of nitro they gave us but just realizing 
this guy's running this car on nitro and not doing any maintenance. So I got to talking to him and his crew chief, and they were very friendly. And he said one key word, and I was always a guy all my life that kind of picked up on key words. And he said, if you run the thing fat, you can't hurt it. And that's very true on any fuel. You run them fat, you can't hurt them. You may not go as fast, but but the engine's safe. And he was running on 85% nitro. And that key word was run them fat and that 85%. And I thought, well, if he can do that, I'll just start out fat and then find out where lean is, you know. And uh, that got me figuring out how to tune the thing up. And then... After that, the tune-up was simple on a blown nitro car in, the, in one regard. There's two things making horsepower that will tell you what you're doing. One of them is spark plugs, and two of them is, is rod bearings, the upper rod bearings. If you push that crank hard enough, you're going to smash that bearing. Well, if you mic that bearing, it'll see how wide you smash it. And after every one of my runs in those early years... The top bearings would come out. I'd go right in the trailer, mic them. I'd write a chart on the wall, which one was the fattest and which one didn't move at all. And then I'd look at my plugs in a group and pick out the hottest and and number it, pick out the coldest, number it, pick out the second hottest, second coldest. Everything in between, I didn't care. They were in between the hot and cold. And if that hot spark plug and that smash bearing were the same one, it said that cylinder needs fuel. And then the ones that the bearings look like new and the plug look cold, well, that's the cylinder I'm going to rob the fuel from so I could just keep balancing the system. So that was a poor man's way of figuring out what cylinder needs what. And one thing about, about a well-designed motor is you can make a run and smash the bearings out the side of the rods 300 thousandths, and it'll get to the end of the track. By God, you better put in a new setter and you ain't going to make it the next round. I was just so that, that was my learning curve on the nitro stuff. Wow. Well, you know, it, and very quickly you picked up on it. And, and, uh, and, and you know what I thought was cool about it was that you ran so well with the alcohol, uh, you know, when you went supercharged and, and tore up the IHRA and upset Scotty and everybody, uh, you know, it, you were accused of of running uh, nitro back then. Uh, there yeah. were some, you know, there were people that, and uh, boy, I, I can remember how upset you were about that whole deal. We talked about that before. Sure. Um, but but when you got going uh, with the nitro, you know, I was thinking about McEwen. Boy, what what a cool cat he is, and the guy's name with him. He had that one nice dress, good-looking guy. I think his name was Guy. Uh, I think he was, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Never, uh, you know, there, there wasn't, they were never out of tune. They were never, and God, uh, Tom used to go up there and lay some decent numbers down, too. Um, yeah. You know, you know, uh, it's, it's the same thing, referring back to the photos we see every day that are sent out. When I look at some of them old combinations, you talked about Willie Borsch and this and that. In other words, the blown motors in, in, in the short wheelbase cars, 
uh, yeah, some of them had wings and some of them had all kinds of oddball bodies. But it's, it's the same thing we did in Nitro Coupe. Big blown motors, uh, uh, different type of body styles as, as you could see Brozovich and those guys ran. I, I ran the sleeker body just because I knew it was a good body. But, uh, it's, it's one of those deals where it was just people liked it. And what I liked about the Nitro Coupe thing, especially when I went to run, uh, ADRL, when you fired up all the alcohol cars, they sat there and cackled. And when you yep. fired up the one nitro coupe in the pits, which is the one I had, all the crew chiefs from all the cars stopped what they were doing and just come and look because it had a whole different sound to it. Oh, baby. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can, I can remember at South Georgia Motorsports Park, uh, which I think is the last time you and I shook hands, uh, you had the Ripper car down there, yeah. and uh, man, when you fired that puppy up, Bill. Uh, yep, those alcohol boys, especially some of the Southern uh, ADRL guys. The uh, I can't even think of some of their names, but they they ran good, no doubt about it. But but they were like, well, God damn, what's that? You know, I mean, it it really shook those dudes up. I'll tell you that. Well, you know. Uh, uh, referring to that, uh, I've always had a little bee in my bonnet about that particular season. And that's because I spent a season trying to control 3,700 horsepower, and everybody else was saying, well, he can't drive anymore, he can't do this, he can't do that. And what I'm alluding to is suddenly now they're all using Whipple chargers. Yep. So they all got horsepower getting right up there where I was way back then. And what are they doing? They're crashing two and three an event. And we're talking about veteran drivers, guys we know that were good drivers. They didn't lose their ability to drive just like I didn't lose mine. They finally had to start dealing with the monster under the hood that I had to deal with. And you know, Bill, it, it, no matter what people, like you said, no matter what people say, they had uh, a little bit of uh, up and down in the back end, um, and and uh, you know I, I think you were down at Commerce when we were all down there for something, and John Force and Bob Vandegrift Jr. There was a couple other type fuel cars down there, but John Force told Gordy and I that we were out of our friggin' minds. He said, you guys got suspension in those cars? Have you lost your mind? You know, and, uh, you know, what you said about that season for you, um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. You certainly never, ever, today I'd put you in anything I had. I don't care if it had 4,500 horsepower, but they are. They're crashing cars. Uh, for the fans that like to go to races and see crashes, Go to an ADRL race because, baby, they knock the poop out of cars every single event. <laughs> they yeah. really do. Yeah, they need replaceable guard walls at those places. But, you know, oh. here's another side of it. When I finally uh, didn't compete the next year and I had a, a, a winner to sit back, and we filmed our car from the rear every run, the dead center rear, not off to the side. And so I'm sitting there in the quiet, nobody distract me, and I'm starting to just watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it. 
And I finally figured out what went wrong, what happened, and why. I mean, it was apparent as a parent could be. And, and technically invented a cure for it here at the house. And if I ever go racing again, I don't have a doubt in my mind I couldn't take the same engine combination and just go right down the tracks now because I, I did discover the problem with that one and all the other guys have the same problem. They, they're just not aware of it. It's, it's one of those deals that's, uh, you know, like when somebody invents something really neat that's so simple and then well, why didn't I think of that? It was one of those why didn't I think of that deals. So I've got a cure for the problem. I'm just, uh, don't have the money to go out and prove it. Well, and, and you don't, obviously you have nothing to prove anyway, but, but it would be cool to, uh, um, you know, Bill, the, it, it's funny. When I was young and I was in oval track country and, um, and the guys would pick on me because we were straight liners and they were, uh, oval track guys and, I was I always took pride in the fact that we taught him, them how to go fast with engines, and uh, I learned a lot from oval track guys about suspension. I mean, I'm not saying I was ever anything to write home about, but I knew what roll centers meant, and uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. What what has struck me about you know about the new cars, and and I mean. Uh, Hell, the nitrous cars, Bill, are 900 cubic inches, or, or almost uh, all of them. Four systems. Um, you know, they're really flying, man. I'm proud as hell of my old nitrous guys. But uh, they they have the same difficulties because they're that's a lot of power, baby. And yeah, and it. Um, you know, we used to, you know we used to always talk about the clutch. Well, hell, you threw that theory out the window because. You never ran your clutch like anybody did. You had that thing locked up as quick as you could. Yeah, and a quarter. Of, it, it had to be locked by a quarter of a second and let the let the tires do the work. Uh, it's funny how you, you learn from things that go wrong. I had a deal where the car was so quick that that black car was so quick to do anything that I said I don't need to be sitting in here physically pushing a button for second gear or third gear. So I, I, I made a two-speed out of it, went to MSD, and uh, got an automatic shifter where it was going to shift itself. So I, I go to make a run, and it takes off and low, runs like a rocket, and then it doesn't shift, so I step on the clutch, and a boarded run goes through at about a 410. And then I do it three times. It shifts in the pits, but it doesn't shift going down the track. And that was another learning experience when I came home. I never downloaded the computer on those runs because they were aborted runs. I just didn't want to blow the engine up, you know. Yep. Well, I come back home, sit there, the wheels are rolling, and it's months later, and I say to myself, Holy cow, I wonder if that run is still in that computer from that last aborted run. And I download it, and it confirmed my suspicions. The reason it wasn't shifting, it was launching in high gear. If I'd have just kept my foot on it, it would have flew. Oh, and my God. Then I realized, holy cow, I've got enough power to run this car just on the rear gear. I love because it. Because the 60-foot times didn't change that's amazing 
but it's one of those deals. It's a hindsight deal like so many things in racing. I would say over the years, my biggest performance leaps, when I, when I get ahead of the pack for a while before they finally caught up, I'd say most of my biggest performance leaps had to do with the gearing of the car. Gears that nobody ever thought they'd try, I'd try, and holy cow, a lot of times the car just loved it. You know, it, it it's amazing. Like you said, some of the basic, you know, some things that uh, people just kind of fall into. For an example, everybody ran a 410 gear at one time, right? I mean, you know, everybody... Right. Yeah, what do you got in the car? Four ten, and uh, you tried, didn't. but it didn't work. I know, uh, Gordy. Gordy was not afraid to try things, Bill, as you well oh, know. I, I remember that. <laughs> God, I mean, Gord, and you know, uh, Bill I ran do you remember- a three seventy for years before it got so wore out that you could shave with it. <laughs> it, it well. And and Gordy ran uh, always said that four systems would be ideal. Well, that's standard equipment in the ADRL cars now, sure. Gordy. And um, and and God, I mean, uh, Bill, when you were back running nitrous, um, you tried every configuration of nitrous known to mankind. I remember in uh, Dallas, Texas, that you had two plates on top of each other. Hell, maybe you had three, but you had two. I know that, uh, and it worked good. Uh, yeah, Mike. Mike, thanks to Mike, uh, anything I wanted to try, Mike could have those parts there the next day, and I, I start plumbing up. I, I remember three foggers on one, uh, stacked plates on others. Uh, it, it was it was some unique combinations, tubes and plates, and you name it, we tried it. And that that's that's the fun of what we did. I mean, that was your your. The old uh, adage of throw throw something up against the wall and see if it sticks. Every once in a while, we weren't as smart as people thought. We just threw a lot of stuff against the wall from time to time, and some of it really stuck. Well, it it, it makes you kind of feel good now and then. I know every once in a while I'll, I'll see something that I know that that uh, that era had a lot to do with, and 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 most of those guys kind of treat. You know, they treat us like elderly people that helped them out a little oh, bit. Oh, God. Tell me uh, about it. <laughs> oh, God. There's, there's a kid. Uh, I rebuilt an engine for a local friend who, who lives down where I used to live. And at his job site, there's a young guy with a Mustang that just, he's got nitrous, and he keeps melting pistons and melting pistons. So this friend finally told him, he said, why don't you call Bill Kuhlman, and he'll... Uh, He'll see if he can help you out a little bit. And this guy's that old has been. He don't know anything anymore, and the guy's still <laughs> melting pistons. <laughs> hey, I love hey it. Wally. Yes. Wally. Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, I'd like to ask Bill a couple questions, if I could. It's George and I, Bill. Yes, sure. Please. <clears throat> I uh, got on the internet, of course, when we knew we were gonna, you were going to be back on the show, and I spotted a couple things that interested me, and here's one that really, really interested me. You were quoted as saying you didn't like the name Pro Modified. It, right. it wasn't exciting enough, I think you said. It didn't capture exactly. the cars. Do you Have you ever looked back and thought, would that class 
Should it have been called something else? Or how, what are your thoughts on that? I suggested, I suggested that Ted Jones that pro modified. I, I said it, it, it reminds me of the modified dirt cars. I said, how about Thunder cars? I was thinking of World Outlaw. Let's yep. call them Thunder cars. Let's give them something exciting. It just, it was too. You know how way back uh, in television, the commercials, everything started being super, super this, super this, super this, super that, and then pro this, pro. Now, hell, you can buy razor blades with the name Nitro in them. Uh, <laughs> people are searching for for cliches that that they will sell the product. Well, I wanted something exciting and different. To me, that world of outlaws. Yep. It didn't say anything about a car. It, 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 if, if, if you'd have come from another planet and they said, let's go see the world of outlaws, you'd have thought you were going to a gunfight somewhere. Yep. It, not, 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 a, not a super high-wing dirt race. And I was the same way. I, I, I want them to, to be something else. So my version was thunder cars or something different than pro-modified. To me, pro-modified was really a boring name. Well, the other thing, Bill, <laughs> that I wanted to ask you that I, I you know, extracted from this uh, article I read, it was actually written by Chris Martin many years ago, but um, it's where you got your start. And I kind of chuckled when I saw this, Bill, because it said you started at age 16, okay, Mid-America Raceway in 1962, close to where you lived, but in a 57 Ford four-door with that wonderful anchor known as a 292. <laughs> yeah, how did that you? Was a, how did you ever make was, the transition to Ford? Humbler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it said. Yeah, <laughs> but how did? Yeah, that's what, what I that? started with. Uh, but one yeah. thing about Ford back then, they they made even though it was a four door, it wasn't one of those cheap sedans. It had the chrome on the windows where if you weren't standing up close, it looked like it could have been a two door hard top. <laughs> Yep, yep. <laughs> but anyway, what, what did you do right after that? You obviously didn't jump into Nitro Coupe or Pro Mod. Well, no, what, what, I, I had that 57 Ford, and then I went away to service. And when I was in the service, we had our first weekend off. So a group of three guys would go to a car rental place, and we rented a Mustang. Uh, a 65 Mustang, and it might have only had a 260 in it, but I think it had a 289. <laughs> I was so shocked that that little 289 was so much quicker and faster than my 292 Ford that <laughs> I, told, I told myself two things. When I go home, I'm going to buy a high-performance car. And the second thing, I will never drive that 57 Ford again. And I never did. I sold it, and I bought it. And I was looking for one of those 427 Thunderbolt Fairlanes I couldn't find one anywhere, and this one car dealer said, well, I've got something here you might be interested in, and it was a 289 high-performance with just a 90-day warranty Mustang. So I bought that, and practically about three weeks later, and here's another odd story for you to, to just squeeze in here. All of us in this group that's talking to each other right now, the outside world looks at, looks at us as car guys. Uh, would you believe that 66 Mustang I bought is the one and only new car I've ever purchased in my life? I've never purchased a new car. 
Wow. That was the only one. I love it. I love it. Bill, I don't want to interrupt your story with George, but we're going to run out of time if we don't do this. We have a caller, an old friend of yours, I suspect. Uh, caller, are you there? I'm here. Okay, I'm Norman here. Hectoff. Yes. Oh, how you oh, doing, Bill. Norman? Hello? Go ahead, Norm. Go ahead, Norm. Yeah, no, I just wanted to say hello and uh, glad to hear you still you still up and at him, Bill. And uh, you know, it's always great to hear somebody who who raced with the USSC, which is one of the finest things I ever had the opportunity to see and and enjoy. And the only the other thing I would say, you were talking about the ADRL and the crashing. And uh, the thing that always fascinates me is not only do they crash so much, but it's always the same crash. It's yeah. always the same two-wall crash. It's almost like orchestrated, and they just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And, and it's usually the same spot on the track, too. Yeah, well, that's right. true. Towards, towards yeah, and that mile. has to do that has to do well, with well, that thing that I get I, it loose about halfway down, and by the eighth mile, it's all over. Yeah. It, that has to do with that thing I figured. I asked myself one time, why do all these cars leave the starting line straight as a die? Their front wheels are in the air. They get out there 200 feet, and then they make a, 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 a move. They all make a move. And I finally, finally figured out what was causing them to make the move because it didn't make sense to me. If the traction was perfect to that point, why did it change? Well, there's something on the car that makes them all change, and I don't know whether whether, whether I'll, I'll market this deal or or see what I can do. But I, I found out what it was that did that, and I and I found the cure for it. And I'm I'm anxious. I'd like to put it on a very high performance car once that's, that's making those moves and see if it doesn't straighten it right out. That's cool, Norman. Norman, while you're here, uh, when you mentioned. Some of the greatest years of my life, uh, the USSC, especially the beginning, uh, in 1989, those first, you were there, Norman, you traveled, uh, with us, uh, if I'm not I, mistaken, I you very, were a big, you were with us during that deal. I missed the very first one in MIR. They tried to explain to me what it was and I didn't get it, but I saw the second one in English Town, and after yep. that I saw as many as I could because it was just, Unlike the ADRL, where it is out of control and it's horrible to watch, the USSC gave the appearance of being out of control, but everybody always made it to the, to the, to the finish line a quarter mile away, and or mostly. And it was it, it was just great stuff. I mean, it was just and, and there was such a variety too. There were guys who had about a dollar three eighty in the car and could barely get down the track, and there were people who really knew what they were doing. Uh, it was just, it was just a wonderful thing. Well, I, and, you know, it, we didn't have, you know, it's, it, unfortunately we had one horrible incident, but, but overall didn't, didn't have a lot of guys hitting the fence, Bill, uh, in those days. No, that's true. Uh, and that's it wasn't like we, and it was, and you know what? All the guys got along tremendously well. There, there was, if there was any rivalries, they were friendly rivalries, and I don't know if the fans in the stands knew that, but everybody got along. I'll never forget one time when I was circuit director, we were at Englishtown in those early days, 
And you know how we had the staging lane, we had to roll down that hill and make that left-hand turn onto the track? Yep. And I said, okay, guys, I remember saying it to Guardy Meal. I said, let's roll on down there. And he laid down on the ground physically and rolled down the hill. I know. I know. Oh, Jesus. You know, you know the, the thing is, Bill, also, at one point, you had a deal, I remember, where you said to people, if you bring me the car to my, to my place in Missouri, I can cut this much time off your ET, and if I don't, you owe me nothing, and it's close. Maybe you make that offer to these guys who are crashing. Uh, I, I ought to do that. You know, I had a whole drag racer school way back in 1992 or three, where you could come to my place, you could bring your car, leave it at home. We'd have an eight-hour, ten-hour, twelve-hour, however long a classroom day you wanted, and I would go over every single aspect of your car, from engine to transmission to gears to to trailer, and. And basically, it was the same thing. It was like six hundred bucks for the day. You and your entire crew—I didn't care how many came—you could film it if you wanted. But the point was, and if you didn't think you got your money's worth when you when you was ready to leave, uh, you didn't owe me nothing. And then, secondly, I added, and you can call me when you're at the track with any question you got. And that worked for quite a while. But then, like everything, things just slow down and fade away. Yeah, well, I remember. I remember some people you helped. I forget the guy's name. It was a guy. He had one of the first cars that showed up that Tootie built, the Chevelle. Um, like a oh, blue big, Chevelle. Big, big Willie. Yeah, was it? Was it? Yeah, Willie. Yeah, yeah. I think it was and, Willie McKenna. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I and I remember like as I remember, maybe I'm wrong. After 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 some coaching from you, I mean, his his act stepped up tremendously. Yep, yep. Bill, uh, you know, uh, Norman, you bring up a good point. Bill Coleman helped a lot of guys, and and I want to say that my buddy Gordy Faust helped a lot of guys. Uh, your story earlier, Bill, honest to God, sometimes when you tell somebody the truth, uh, they don't want to believe you, and especially, like you said, hell, what could we know now, you know? We're old beat-up guys, yeah. you know, but... Yeah. It, 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 you've you've always been very open and very anxious to help others, and uh, and with that, Norman, uh, you can you can say good night with us because we've got to close this show up. And, okay. and Bill, well, Bill, yeah. uh, Bill, Bill, come back on because I got more to say. <laughs> okay, listen, thank Have you so much, experience. Bill Coleman. Thank you, uh, George Nye. Uh, will you take this show home? We got to get off the air, buddy. Well, Thanks, I'll Bill. be glad to, Wally. On behalf of the Zeus Radio Network and Racers Reunion Radio, special thanks to Bill Kuhlman and a special thanks to Gordy Faust and, of course, our boss man, Jeff Gilder, and, of course, Wally Bell, the main man. This is George and I. Hoping you had a wonderful time. All you chat room people, hello, goodbye. We'll talk to you all next week.